this is Shirley Smith with Bridge the Gap. Uh, Welcome to today's podcast. And guess what? We're going to go through an article that was written by Timothy Del Prinkle. And I believe he um, is with Christianity Today. Uh, The article was written November 2nd of this year. And it's titled, Why Evangelicals Disagree on the President. And so I think that's actually a question that the world actually has at this point. Uh, Some of the comments that uh, I have seen across my desk, people are concerned about America. We seem to be divided. And it appears also that uh, not only is America divided, but particularly it seems that the Christian uh, religion is divided. And so I have a thought that perhaps either this division has always been here and we just never noticed, or perhaps this division has been Um, encouraged uh, over the last few years. So hang in there with me, stay with me, and let's see what, uh, what other voices has to say about this article. Hello, this is Shirley Smith with Bridge the Gap. And so the article that we will discuss today, it's why the evangelicals disagree on the president. This was actually written by Timothy Dell Rumpel. And this article was published in Christianity Today, November 2nd of this year, 2020. And so this is what uh, Timothy believes has happened. Uh, He says that there are two camps of evangelical Christianity. And so it depends upon the vision that each camp has for Christianity. And that's whether it's Christianity in the United States or Christianity globally. So first of all, let's just look at uh, one of them because he has two vision types. One he says is church regnant and the other one is church remnant. And so we'll go through what each one of these believe. So the church regnant, he's saying, uh, this is where the Christian believes that uh, they should follow and support the current administration regardless of who the person is or what the practices, uh, say spiritual, social, uh, emotional practices of that uh, current administration may be. So they feel that they should support the administration because they want to have the ability to have influence in both foreign and economic policy within the country and of course outside the country. Another thing that they have interest in is the political power. So they believe that there is a battle between good and evil. So if they have political power uh, in the United States, and the United States of course is the major economic uh, country in the world, and so they believe if they have power here, that then that power will transfer to other nations as well. Uh, They also believe in deepening, um, there's a deepening of uh, immorality and untruth that's happening uh, in the uh, United States. So they're concerned about that. Uh, They are also concerned that uh, there will always be um, practices of sexual immorality and things like abortion that are one of the main things that they're standing on, they want that uh, to end because they feel that if that continues, then God will judge 
the United States of America. Now, let's see if there's a difference in the way that the church remnant thinks. And so the remnant is basically, these are people who believe in uh, the kingdom and that it is sacred um, and also winning elections and passing laws is not as sacred, so to speak, as the kingdom of God is. So the kingdom of heaven is among us, uh, is how they believe. And so they believe in serving the homeless, um, taking care of the refugees, uh, as, as well as helping the neighbor. So uh, they're going by scripture with these things that we are to help our neighbors and we're to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Other things that the church remnant is looking at is laying down our rights and privileges as Christ did in Philippians 2 in order to serve the powerless. So Christendom is not as important as kingdom. So in other words, to talk about Christianity and have a Christian system is not as important as the kingdom of God that resides within us if we consider that that kingdom of God urges us to help the poor, the fatherless, the disenfranchised, uh, those who cannot help themselves. Uh, and so the remnant also has higher priority on purity within the church and within leadership uh, than prosperity of the country. And so that's one of the ways that the two groups differ and that the regnant group wants the prosperity of the church to grow, prosperity of the country to grow, and so, and feel that they can be more effective if they're prosperous. And in that prosperity means in many, in I think in a number of ways, but one of the main ways, of course, would have to do with money. Uh, and so, um, Unity and integrity is something that the church remnant believes in. So this is some of the reasons why they're having these disagreements. And so um, the Timothy goes on to give, give his opinion. He believes that we should, as a church, he believes he's, the, he's on the remnant side. So the remnant church, where we're reaching out and helping others. Um, believing in living a godly life, uh, getting rid of greed, lust, racism, sexism, uh, all those things. And so he has given his opinion that he feels that this is the way the Bible teaches us. So I have a thought, <laughs> and my thought is simple. I would like to know then, because I believe in going to the Word of God and trying to understand various situations, I find myself in the remnant camp. And so my question is this, what do we do with scriptures like this? So uh, there's Isaiah, the 10th chapter, the 20th through the 22nd verse, and it says this, And that day the remnant of Israel, the survivors of Jacob, will no longer rely on him who struck them down, but will truly rely on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, 
In that day, the remnant of Israel, the survivors of Jacob, will no longer rely on him who struck them down. So keep in mind that the children of Jacob were one time enslaved. Okay, so that's why I read that a second time for you, just in case you didn't notice. The next scripture, which is Isaiah 10 and 21, says, A remnant will return. A remnant of Jacob will return to the mighty God. Then 22 says, um, Though your people be like the sand of the sea, Israel, only a remnant, will return. Destruction has been decreed overwhelmingly and righteous. And then when we look at Isaiah 11th chapter, the 11th verse, it says, In that day the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the surviving remnant of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, and from Upper Egypt, uh, and from Cush, which would be Ethiopia, from Elam, which would be Iran, from Babylonia, which would be Iraq and Syria, and from Hamath, which would be Syria, and from the islands of the Mediterranean, being Malta and Cyprus. So Isaiah 46 and 3 says, Listen to me, you descendants of Jacob, all the remnant of the people of Israel, you whom I have upheld since your birth and have carried since you were born. And then uh, we're going on down to Exodus 22nd chapter in the 22nd verse. It says, do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. And so this strikes really close to the issues that we're having because we've had the, we have a situation where immigrants have been trying to come into the United States, as you know. Uh, some were caged, some I believe are still caged. We've, we have missing, I think, over 500 children. So we have returned their parents, I believe, to, to whatever country, and um, the children are nowhere to be found. So something had to have happened to those children. So the concern of the remnant would be things like this. So Exodus 22nd, 24, what, we do, what do we do with this scripture that says, My anger will be aroused, and I will kill you with the sword, your wives will become widows and your children fatherless. And this is if you're mistreating people. Deuteronomy 10 and 18 says he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. So this, these are actions of Christians is what these scriptures are describing. Deuteronomy 14th chapter 29th verse says, So that the Levites, who have no allotment of uh, of inheritance of their own, and the foreigners, the fatherless and the widows who will who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied, and so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. And then Deuteronomy 16, chapter 11th verse says, And rejoice before the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. You, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites in your town, and the foreigners, the fatherless and the widows living among you. So over and over, the ones that are being addressed that the church is to care for, the priests, which the Levites represent the priest, the foreigners, those who are immigrants, the fatherless, those who do not have a living biological father on the earth, uh, widows, those who have lost their spouses. 
And so these are, the, the scriptures go on and on, especially in Deuteronomy. If you go to the 24th chapter of Deuteronomy and go all the way down to, uh, well, really the 27th chapter, the 19th verse, it says, Cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow. Then all the people shall say, Amen. So there are many scriptures that are here. And the question that I have is, what do we do with these scriptures? Because there are so many of them. And the, and the Bible is so precise about who we should be caring for. Uh, and so it sounds like we are concerned about the unborn, but the Bible is, of course, uh, God is concerned about the unborn, but he's very, very, very concerned about the ones who are living and what is happening to them. So then my thinking is when I, other scriptures I think of when I think of, say, the regnant's thought, uh, I think of um, the Queen of Sheba. If you go to Matthew, the 12th chapter, the 42nd verse, it says, The queen of the south, which is referring to Queen of Sheba, it says, shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condone it. Or, uh, I'm sorry, shall condemn it. Uh, For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Now, Queen of Sheba, it's not a whole lot that's said about her in the Bible, but there are other uh, scriptures that you can look up yourself. Uh, 1 Kings 11, chapter 31st verse, Acts 8, chapter 27th verse, Revelations 18, chapter 7th verse. And basically, uh, what it's saying in, in these scriptures is Queen of Sheba was a ruler, and she was an extremely wealthy person. Second uh, Corinthians, uh, the ninth chapter, the first verse talks about when she came to Jerusalem, she came with camels bearing spices and precious stones. Uh, she came with the people that came with her were her advisors, her assistants, her security guard, her personal cooks. In, in other words, we see some of this sometimes in some of our churches and some of our administrations in churches. Uh, And so perhaps this is the group that feels that they should rule and reign and have the money to exhibit that they have the right to rule and reign. Now, I could be wrong, but the remnant sounds more like they're interested in kindness. How can we help each other as humans. And I found this article that was very interesting. It This article is, talks about good leadership is an act of kindness. And so as I was reading this article, I was sitting and thinking about the United States of America. And I'm thinking about how divided we are. I'm also thinking about uh, the administration and sometimes how the administration comes across Uh, in interviews and when asked questions about leadership abilities and capabilities and and thoughts. Um, What are you thinking? What is your thinking about how you're uh, behaving in all of this and uh, in your leadership role? And so we have heard uh, generals question the leadership. We've heard the ex-presidents to question the leadership. 
We've seen the family of the current administration to question the leadership. We've seen people who were once parts of the leadership to actually write books about what's going on. So the concern is this. Uh, Our leadership and kindness has a whole lot to do with how the followers are behaving as well. And so there's an article written, and this is actually from, let's see, what's the name of this? Uh, This was actually written. It's titled, the article is, Good Leadership is an Act of Kindness. Uh, This was actually written by two managers, uh, let's see, uh, writing on the power of leadership and strategy that is being overlooked. And this is by Boris uh, Grossberg and then Susan Seligen. And these both are uh, professors at Harvard and the School of Business uh, in Organizational Behavior. And so what they're, the comments that they're making is, we're in the midst of a virus right now. So that virus is crippling the United States of America and in that there's many struggles that we're having. So their statement is, now they're referring to leadership within corporations, but I think we can apply some of the information that they have learned to leadership in our administration and perhaps the reason there's so much division in the country is because of the way that the leadership potentially is behaving. And so here are some things that Boris and Susan discovered uh, when they did their study. They just said that because of the virus, parents are struggling, uh, concerned about their children, of course. They're trying to balance all the demands that they have in their life that includes their work, their children, learning to homeschool their children, employees that they may have responsibility for, uh, and Zoom meetings and scheduling those meetings and people taking off because maybe they're caretakers for both their parents and their children. Uh, So they're concerned that people are not able to meet deadlines uh, that are working for them. And so the question is, how then do you manage or lead when all of this is going on? And so this is is what they uh, have suggested for leaders in order to manage uh, better because when a virus or pandemic has kind of taken control of the United States, And just to show you how much control it has taken, the more recent stats that I was able to find is that within the United States, we have 11,322,513 infections of the virus. We have lost to death 251,679 people. And those figures are growing daily. So this, the figures that I'm quoting to you now is about a week old, if not older. So the number of deaths happening in the United States is actually 19% of all deaths in the entire world. And then also, 
we have 21% of the world's infections. And now keep in mind, the United States of America's population is less than 5% of the world's population. But we have 21% of the world's infections. So, um, and another thing that an article brought out is this, <laughs> because we are concerned about this. I know the World Economic Forum, uh, Forum is looking into everything right now, what's going on on the earth to see how to improve it. And so it appears that even though we're less than 5% of the population of the world, we're using currently 24% of the world's resources. So considering all of this, we are in a storm with the pandemic. We're in a storm when it comes to injustices. Uh, we are in a storm when it comes to excellent information that's coming out daily about things that have been left out in history. And so things that we have, known, have not known about each other as uh, citizens of the United States, we have not always understood how much everyone has given in order for this country to survive. The other thing we're not understanding, which uh, if you were to check Credit Suisse, who does an economic global uh, cast of how the world is doing by country economically, uh, what they have found is that the number of people growing below the poverty level in the United States is a continuous growth from year to year. Whereas countries similar to China, or is China, has been actually pulling up the economic power of every citizen in their country. And they have pulled everyone up above the poverty level except for about 20% of their population. Keep in mind that we have a population of about 300 30 million or so. China has a population of 1 billion 400 million people. So now all my numbers are not exact, but you, you have an idea of, of what I'm trying to display here. So anyway, moving on, these are some things that um, the leaders are worried about. And I would think that leaders within our administration would have some concerns about this too. And basically what they're worried about is there is a lot of remote work. There are layoffs and we're certainly seeing uh, people um, leaving the administration quite frequently here. And then also there's just a range of frustrations that people are dealing with all day long. And then our market woes. So our stock is going up and down. It's just flip-flopping uh, daily. I don't know if we have a clue as to what is really controlling our stock market, but we do know that it's going up and down, and it's a roller coaster for anyone who's watching it daily. Uh, the other thing that um, is interesting is that 
the country and, and Harvard started looking at, well, who has been able to do the best leadership? What is the best leadership roles that they've seen? So one of the things that they brought out is that uh, the New Zealand Prime Minister, which is Jacinda Ardern, uh, is considered to be a very effective leader. She's aggressive um, and she's also compassionate and strong. And so what, what they're suggesting here is that as leaders, whether you're leading a cooperation or you're leading a country, consider that you can be aggressive or assertive, but at the same time, you also have to have compassion for people based upon the situations that they find themselves in. And so, um, the, so they've suggested that kindness is something that is contagious. So if you can learn kindness, or if you've learned how to uh, do hatred, <laughs> you can learn how to, you know, be kind. And so they're suggesting uh, things of this nature as far as what can be done to, um, to help people during this time, because everyone is in a perpetual crisis, basically. And so one of the things they suggest is say to people and actually do this, I hear you. So sit and listen to your employees. Sit and listen to those who are having a bad day, many concerns, family crisis. Let them know, I hear you. And then ask the question, are you okay? So I think America now needs to just, needs to know that someone really cares because we have a stimulus that's been sitting in limbo. So I'm sure people are wanting to hear, are you okay out there, America? You're having a hard time, we know. We know that you're getting sick and you're losing family members. We know that. Are you okay? And what can we do to help? And I think that's one of the things that's missing right now. We have over 200,000 people who have lost relatives. So these people were related to someone. So you have people who are losing relatives all over the United States. Today I saw a video in Texas where the news actually recorded there were 25,000 people in line for a Thanksgiving dinner. The traffic was backed up by 6,000 cars on the freeway. So people are without food, they're without money, some are losing their homes. So people would like to know, what can we do to help? So for those of you who are leading churches, leading communities, leading counties and states, leading corporations, whatever you're leading, People want to know that you are willing to help them. The next question is, how are you managing these days? These are just simple questions, but they make a huge difference to people. If they could only hear them, perhaps we would stop some of the marching and rioting. 
perhaps we would calm down. Perhaps there will be less accidents on the freeway. Perhaps there will be less people robbing and taking and stealing. If someone would actually sit down with them and just simply ask, how are you managing these days? One way you can do this, even with your family, if your leaders are not doing it, you can actually get on Zoom or FaceTime or whatever it is that you use, Duo. Uh, You can get on these devices and have a coffee break with your family, with a friend, with, you know, a parent in the middle of the day. Just when you take your break, FaceTime someone and sit down and talk to them. The next thing people want to hear is, I'm here for you. Now, even though you probably have your problems too, but just think about that. How does it feel to hear the words, I'm here for you? You're not there to judge them. You're not there to even show them the most of sympathy, but you're there to just simply hear them. That in itself is comforting. Okay, another question or statement that you can make. I know you're doing the best that you can. An employee would love to hear that, especially if they're worried about their child who just went back to school. They're concerned that they might bring home the virus. And now they're frantic at work. They have deadlines on them. They're having difficulty reaching the people that they need to speak with. And so the work is falling behind because this is something Harvard has found out, is that the work is falling behind. (laughs) So that's making, of course, the leader anxious as well. The manager is becoming anxious because the work is falling behind. But then, just sit with your employee. Let them know that I know that you're doing the best that you possibly can. Then thank you two simple words that we should never, ever, ever forget. So thank your employees for what they are doing. Thank them for coming to work, even though you know that their child maybe was sick and that you had to juggle with your spouse to make sure that somebody is there to care for the child or take the child to the doctor. So In other words, the things that they said is this. Every leader should be able to show empathy and emotional intelligence. Kindness is most essential at this time. And so it's really interesting that everyone is trying to figure out how to help at this time. So Harvard has done their leadership uh, study and has come up with suggestions, as you've just heard. Now, I took a course with Yale about three quarters, maybe two quarters ago, and this was uh, the science of well-being. Now, these are some things that they mentioned that we could do as individuals, and I'm going to share those with you. First of all, put away your cell phones. Not forever. Just put them away long enough to have some time to yourself. 
don't have to do this every day, you choose. When you decide you need to have some time to yourself and you're just not going to answer your cell phone. So just put it away. Or at least put it on silent. Or maybe even just turn it off. Whether it's a few minutes or a few hours. Because you know your own schedule. You know what may come up. And if you have any potential urgent conversations that you may need to have then, of course, you may either either silence the phone or try to have it off when you know that you're not going to get this urgent call that you may potentially get. Disconnect from social media. It doesn't have to be again forever. But one of the things that social media does to us, it causes us to compare ourselves and it causes us to almost waste an entire day looking at what someone else is saying. And then, of course, we don't know how much information is factual and truthful that's on social media. So you're wasting your hours away when you're already distressed, when you need to just cut it off. And maybe you can look at social media, I don't know, designate 30 minutes a day or an hour every two days or something of that nature. You have to pick what's best for you. Deliberately do acts of kindness. So let's say you're going into a door at the bank and someone's behind you, hold the door for them. A person is coming out of the grocery store and an orange falls out of their grocery bag. Pick it up for them if you can and give it to them. Just acts of kindness, something that you don't expect any return behavior. So you're not expecting anything from these people. You may not even know them. But acts of kindness makes you happier. And we've already talked about this, but Zoom, either a lunch meeting or dinner or coffee break with a friend or family member. Don't forget your parents because they're at home. And because they're older, they're at home most of the time doing social distancing. So don't forget your parents, but call them in the middle of the day or at night or whatever time is, is uh, convenient and helpful to you. Send someone a nice thank you note. It doesn't have to be about something they just did, but you may think of, oh yes, you know, she took care of my dog for me for a whole week when I went on vacation six months ago. And so you might want to send a nice thank you note just saying, just thinking about you and how nice you were to keep my dog for a week. Get eight hours of sleep if possible. Sleep is very necessary. Take walks and have some type of regular exercise routine. So those are all suggestions from Yale University as some things that one can do to help during this time. Now, one of the things that I also happened to run across was this book called God Has a Dream. And so hang in there and we will be right back with God Has a Dream by Desmond Tutu. I think you will enjoy this. So hang on. Okay, so you're back with Shirley uh, and continuing on with the podcast here. Uh, God Has a Dream. This is a book that was written by Desmond Tutu. 
And I wanted to read just a little bit of this to you. It's just, uh, it's certainly not the book, but it's, but it's just a small portion of the book. God has only us. That's what he titles this particular section of his book. He says, Dear child of God, do you realize that God needs you? Do you realize that you are God's partner? When there is someone hungry, God wants to perform the miracle of feeding that person. But it won't any longer be through manna falling from heaven. Normally, more usually, God can do nothing until we provide God with the means, the bread and the fish, to feed the hungry. When a person is naked, God wants to perform the miracle of clothing for that person. But it won't be Calvin Klein outfits floating from heaven. (laughs) No, it will be because you and I, all of us, have agreed to be God's fellow workers, providing God with the raw materials for performing miracles. And then it skips on over in the the chapter, which I um, found was really uh, interesting. He says, Our God is a God who has a bias for the weak. And we who worship this God, who have, have to reflect the carriage of this God, have no option but to have a like special concern for those who are pushed to the edges of society, for those who, because they are different, seem to be without a voice. We must speak up on their behalf, on behalf of the drug addicts and the down and outs, on behalf of the poor, the hungry, the marginalized ones, on behalf of those who, because they are different, dress differently, or on behalf of those who, because they have different sexual orientations from our own, tend to be pushed away to the periphery. We must, we must be there where Jesus would be. This one who was vilified for being the friend of sinners. We forget, <clears throat> this is my little short commentary before I read the rest of this, but uh, we forget that Jesus was vilified. He was mistreated. Uh, even the Pharisees, the one who were teaching in the synagogues and teaching about God, in some cases in scripture, they actually referred to him as the son of Satan. Uh, it's, it's amazing um, how poorly Jesus was treated. And the very ones who felt that they knew him, knew God the best, did not realize that God was walking in front of them, dressed in flesh, like a human. So now going on with what Desmond Tutu says. When we look around, we see God's children suffering everywhere. The poor getting poor, the hungry getting hungrier, and all over the world, you see many of God's children suffering oppression. You see God's children often in prison for nothing. All over the world, you see God's children treated as if they were rubbish. You should, <clears throat> you would not be mistaken to call the situation between and the haves, uh, between and haves and the have-nots, between the powerful and the powerless, a form of global apartheid. So now this is this is very interesting because this book was written some time ago. 
but he's bringing out a number of things and issues that actually exist within the United States right now, today. Things that we are hearing about, reading about, sitting in small groups talking about, and just trying to understand how can we make things better for those who are not doing as well as others. How do we do that? What do we need to do? There are so many ways to help. Uh, Tutu goes on to say, the statistics are discouraging, but they can also be numbing. Only when we remember that the people in each statistic uh, ultimately could be a member of our family or members of our human family, do these statistics come to life? In 1979, I met a little girl who helped to bring the statistics of the dispossessed to life for me. I have often told her stories because her life is the life of so many little girls and boys, not only in South Africa, but around the world. I was visiting a country there in Africa, a resettlement camp near Queenstown. A small girl came out of the shack in which she lived with her widowed mother and sister. What do you do for food? I asked her, looking around at the shacks of impoverished people who had been uprooted and dumped without any means of providing for themselves. We borrow food, she answered. Have you ever returned any of the food you have borrowed? No, she said. What do you do when you can't borrow food? We drink water to fill our stomachs. Children are dying and dying from poverty and dying from preventable disease. Imagine your dearly loved baby, your infant, your child, expiring before you, your very eyes, for the lack of food or of fairly cheap inoculations. And then he goes farther and he says, there is much work to be done to fulfill God's word and God's dream and bring about the transfiguration of the suffering that exists in our world. But before we can address the suffering from a place of love and not hate, of forgiveness and not revenge, of humility and not arrogance, of generosity and not guilt, of courage and not fear, we must learn to see with the eyes of the heart. So that was Desmond Tutu. The name of his book is God Has a Dream. And the whole book is good, but I just found that particular section, it seems to work really well with what's going on in America today. And another thing that I received, uh, when I think about um, the remnant Christian and the regnant Christian, the regnant Christian is more concerned, it appears, uh, for ruling and reigning and being dominant and having great influence globally, all over the United States and globally. And so this is funny because I received this in my email 
uh, I happen to be on the distribution list of Israel's Institute of Biblical Studies. And so I received this. And it's funny to me. It says, what does it mean to be a Christian? (laughs) It says, on the surface, the answer is simple. A Christian is a person who belongs to Christ. But at a deeper level, being a Christian is so much more. A Christian is someone who has dedicated their life to following Jesus Christ, shunning immorality and striving to obey God out of gratitude for salvation. But is there another aspect that we are missing? And so they go on to say, instead of reading the newspapers, and I won't read all that the that the uh, email said but instead of reading the newspapers which they feel are not helpful to you they are suggesting daily study of the bible (laughs) and so he says if you read the bible daily you you will become convinced of the truth of the gospel and so he mentioned that one particular city Berea He just said that particular city uh, basically encountered deep riches uh, of the Word of God because they were reading it every day. And in addition to that, they were looking at the original Word. So as as we know, the Bible, the English Bible has been translated from Hebrew uh, and Greek. Uh, and, uh, and so he's saying you may want to even look at the original word just to make sure that you're reading, not only reading every day, but making sure that you understand what the original word of the Bible had to say. And then I will leave you with uh, this scripture. I always feel I should leave you with scripture because I do believe that we should be reading it every day and that we should read all the way through from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And it, it can, you can actually do that at least once a year. Read the entire Bible all the way through and then start over. Uh, one of the things that I like to do is I get one Bible and I, I write in my Bibles and I highlight and I do everything, circle everything else and as I'm going through. And then when I'm ready to go through the Bible all over again, I get a new Bible and then I go through again because I want to look at Scripture with what I call virgin eyes. Allow the scriptures to speak to me. The scriptures tell us that the very best teacher is the Holy Spirit. So I'd like to allow the Holy Spirit the time to speak to me. Even though I've read the scripture many times or the particular books many times, when I go back through there, depending upon the season that I'm in or the season that the United States in this case is in, uh, I learn other things that I missed before. So now I'm going to read you just a little bit of Galatians, the fifth chapter. So the very first verse says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And then I'm going to go down to the 13th verse, and then I'll read to the 24th verse, just so you know where we're headed here. The 13th verse says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to be, not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. 19 says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, which means extreme indulgence in physical pleasures, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, which is disagreement, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, which is again is disagreement, uh, which causes discord, uh, and then factions, which is conflicts within a bigger group. And for instance, like the conflicts that we're having now within Christianity and conflicts that we're having within a country conflicts that even the world is saying there are too many conflicts in America right now. So the United Nations has been telling us that. People around the world have been marching and telling us that. Uh, so it is, it is very obvious <clears throat> that there are factions, dissensions, discord, hatred. All these things are showing up. Debauchery, Okay, and then it goes on to say other of these um, fleshly things that are obvious is envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. 22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, we've even talked about ways that you can just be kind to each other. Now, against such things, there is no law. 24 says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So, I leave you with this today concerning the division that we have. We've just read the scriptures that have said we should not have division, especially if we are all of the same religion, uh, of the same country, because anytime we divide ourselves, we can certainly be defeated. And so we have a divided country, almost 50-50, not quite, but almost. Somehow we have got to figure out how to come together. I was watching YouTube one day and a pastor from India said this. He said, what is obvious is that people in America do not care. They do not care for each other. Because if we cared, we would be praying for each other and praying for our country. Because as long as we're divided and the country is divided, 
we can be defeated. And so what we may want to consider is what exactly are we doing to ourselves and our country, which is a country that used to be admired by the world, but according to the Indian speaker, he says America is no longer admired by the world because the world doesn't like the way we're talking about each other. And so it's just something that we may want to consider. And I wonder if we have been tricked by the enemy to have division, to actually even fight what the voting has done. Have we considered that many people, I would say most of America, is be praying that the will of God be done. Well, when do we accept what his will is? What if his will has been done? So now we're going to pray that he undo it? So we do need to be careful. So I thought about this play that Shakespeare, William Shakespeare did in 1612. It's called Much Ado About Nothing. And so, in essence, there are about four main characters, two really main characters, Claudio, uh, who accused his fiancée of being uh, deceptive, and so he had this malicious plot himself. And so then Hero was the um, name of his fiancée. He accused her of being unchaste, (laughs) or chaste, I should say, before marriage. And so he was trying to put the wedding off because he was accusing her of things that she had not done. And so here comes Benedict, who is the cousin who has... um, Benedict is in love with Beatrice, and Beatrice is the cousin of Hero, so Benedict... He actually speaks up for Hero, and he proves her to be innocent. So then uh, Benedict and Beatrice then fall in love, and now they're together. So when I think about this, I said, well, now, could Claudio be the Republican since they are challenging the vote, and they're accusing the Democrats of trying to steal the election, and Hero is the Democrats. So... Hero is like, what? What's going on? But I didn't do anything. And so then here comes uh, the various uh, poll counters and all those people who have to recount the votes. They're like Benedict and Beatrice. And so they find out that, oh, you know what? Guess what? Everything was done on the up and up and it's all correct. And so we have no fear. And so then what happens at the end is Uh, Claudia and Hero gets married, Uh, Benedict and Beatrice get together, and so that's like all the families of America, (laughs) the moms and dads, the children and parents, because everyone has been split up with this division. We have parents against uh, their children, we have siblings against each other with who they're voting for, This election has torn families apart and denominations of Christianity apart and groups apart and friends apart. 
And so hopefully all these people will now come back together. And when we all come back together, the, the way I would like to see the story end of much ado about nothing, it will end this way. Vaccines will be approved and they will be healthy and they will be able to use, uh, we, they can be used in the United States and the world. Inequality and injustice will fade away. It will be defeated. Unemployment uh, will cease so people can go back to their jobs and if they've lost their job forever, they can be retrained so that they can have a job. And then we're able to shop again for our own groceries instead of getting online and ordering them for others to bring it to us. And also, other countries will finally welcome our blue and gold passport. Oh, it is time to travel, and I have missed it a whole lot. The next country on my list to go to is Ethiopia. And I want to learn about ancient Christianity there. And I am looking very much forward to getting to Ethiopia. So I have a thought. If we can be more kind to each other and think about all the division that we have currently, was it really there all the time? But now, because of maybe our administration and leadership, It has been encouraged to come out, so now we know. (laughs) We now know how we all feel. But it's time to come back together at this point so that we can continue in the position that we are in currently, which has the eyes of the world are upon us. But the eyes of the world are upon us so that we can become a just country so that we can become a truthful country so that we can be truly a God worshiping country I have a thought that if we consider some of these ways of kindness we can come back together hopefully sooner than later may God bless your time and your day I am so glad that you took the time to think with me today on Bridging the Gap.